Hello, everyone, and welcome to the second episode of the Influence series of Professor P podcast. My name is Parsa Pekar. I'm a psychotherapist, author, and professor at the Pepperdine University. For the first segment of our podcast, I'm going to be discussing about a book that is very important to me, and it's very influential in different ways. And the question we will be answering through this podcast is, how does service have an effect in our influence in the world? So we want to focus on this question as we're moving forward. The book I've chosen is called Why Good Things Happen to Good People by Jill Neymark and Dr. Stephen Gerard Post, who is a psychiatrist. And this book is such a, has first of all, the title is such a contrary to what we believe, right? We've always been having that question in our mind that why bad things happen to good people. So first of all, I really like the titles, which says why good things happen to good people. And it takes us to different perspective about how does life affect right actions, basically, on those who do them. So the book talks about 10 ways of giving, which I'm going to go over, and then I'll share some of my experience with them. First is celebration and gratitude. Second is nurturing others. Third is forgiveness. Four is courage. Five is humor and joy. Six is respect. Seven is compassion. Eight is loyalty. Nine is listening. And 10 is creating. And the interesting thing about these 10 ways of giving, which is the book is basically based on the concept that if you serve, not only you make someone else's life better, but you also make your own life better. And that's an important thing, right? It's a two-way street. Not only the person who receives enjoy it, but those who receive and then those who give as well have a lasting effect on their life. And I personally believe the person who gives is more blessed than the person who receives. And this is also an old saying. So these 10 character and traits can be expressed in four different domains according to this book. There first there is the family and those who are around us, of course, the friends, community, and humanity at large. Something about service that we need to always remember, and this book encourages us to have that mindset, is service should be an attitude instead of an act, right? It's not a one-time thing we do, but it's an attitude that we develop over our life. And we always need to start within our own circle and then grow that to our community and then humanity. The book talks about how giving is in such a good way for us to live. So one of the things they talk about is the science of love is that giving protects overall health twice as much as aspirin protects against heart disease. And also talks about how giving is much more, is a medicine that is much more effective than Prozac, which Prozac is used for depression. 
And also the way I look at this is that when we are giving, and this book talks about 10 different ways of giving, so going to the celebration part, which means turning gratitude into action, the research talks about how giving thanks show that it can spread to every aspect of our lives, right? Gratitude can shift the nervous system toward a calm state, which can result in surges of happiness and joy, and it can also make us celebrate of all kinds, such as, you know, savoring the day, rejoicing the lives of others, and also reframing our own moods. In the next chapter, which is the way of helping others grow, Dr. Post defines this character as selflessly giving to others, in particular to future generations. It means that nurturing others, of course, is they are able to manifest their gifts, their talents, and their potential, and who they truly are. And it can bring out the best in people. And to me, that's one of the most important things. When we are thinking about service, we are thinking about our own legacy, right? And how we can be effective in that way. The next chapter talking about the forgiveness, which I love the title as well, which talks about how we set ourselves free. You know, the reports and the research on, in this chapter talks about how this virtue helps with depression, boosts moods, and reduces anger. It also has the lower stress of the hormones and perceives close relationship. And the chapter talks about how there's a lot of misunderstanding about forgiveness. Forgiveness basically means you no longer hold the grudge for yourself, Right. And in that way, you set yourself free. When I was reading this chapter, what came to my mind was the Nelson Mandela story who was present for such a long time because of his activist movement. And then in his autobiography, he says, when I was about to walk out of these doors, right, the prison, uh, I remember and I told myself, unless I forgive these people who've done these things to me, I will never be able to walk out of this door and be free. So forgiveness is all about being free from the grudges, from the bad feelings that we have toward others. The next chapter talks about the courage, way of courage, which is a way of giving. And it says, speak up, speak out, which there are five lessons that we can highlight in this chapter. First is understanding that courage comes in many different forms, right? As second is learn hard copying. Third is encouraging others. Four is confronting with care. And five, trauma can lead to transformation. It's interesting because we'll hear later on from our guests and our students that how trauma and our previous pain can turn into something very meaningful and a purpose in our life. But I also want to talk about how when we stand up for ourselves, at the same time, we stand up for many people. I remember when I was one time ordering a coffee and at the Starbucks and there was this person who came into the store and he was so rude to the barista. And I could tell there was this feeling inside the store that everyone was wanted to say something, but... Nobody really dared to say anything. 
he said that and he kept going. I told the guy, hey, this is not a right way to talk. And you need to either, you know, come down or just leave the store. And he was looking at me. And then after a while, he just said something and left the store. And when I said that word to him, it was interesting because now the other people had the courage to also stand up for themselves and started to say things. That's a perfect example of how when you stand up for yourself, others are able to do the same thing. The next chapter talks about the way of humor, which means connecting with joy. And Dr. Post talks about how humor is a way of love that brings a lightness of being and reframes the world. And he provides a couple of experiences to promote this quality. So some of them would be you know, keep a joy jar at home, laugh at life, but not yourself or others. Being able to share those moments with your partner, whoever you're living with. And this way, you take life with joy, as he's discussing. So I highly recommend this book. I believe this is much needed in our society and in our own lives. And something else that I always mention is those who serve will never be forgotten. I definitely know from my own experience, the people I know who will serve in heart and serve so many people. And also, if you look at the history, we realize that those people who have an attitude of service will be always remembered for future generations. And I think that's how we keep our legacy alive. And that's what our purpose is in life. Of course, we do it in different ways and different forms. But at the end, it all leads to service. So please stay with us because we'll be having our guests in our next segment. For the next segment of the show, I have Ryan Diusik, who's the founding drummer of Maroon 5 and also the author of Harder to Breathe. So please stay tuned and we'll be right back. Now I have my special guest here, Ryan Diusik. And Ryan, I'm just going to let you introduce yourself, give a little background, and also give us one value that is important to you. All right. Well, thank you for having me on. Uh, yeah, I'm Ryan Dusick. Um, I'm an associate marriage and family therapist. I got my master's in clinical psychology from Pepperdine. Um, you know, my background is uh, a little unique, I suppose. Uh, I was the founding drummer of the band Maroon 5. I uh, started that band in my parents' garage when I was 16 years old, and uh, we worked all the way from the garage up to the biggest stages in the world uh, over the course of about a decade. Um, and so, you know, it was a dream come true, a, a long time coming, a lot of work to get there. And as we were, um, you know, promoting the, the album Songs About Jane, I actually went through a breakdown that sent me into uh, a really dark place and ended up having to leave the band I had physical issues, and in retrospect, I I understand that there was a, a large mental health issue to it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And so um, after a, a number of years struggling with the grief of that loss and depression and um, anxiety and self-medicating with alcohol, um, I finally found recovery in 2016. And that started this whole new journey of the life that I'm living now, uh, where I I went back to school to get my master's degree. I, I had this new passion for uh, for service. And that's the the second part of the the question, you know, the value that's important to me is is being of service. That's something that was instilled in me early on in my recovery from alcoholism. Uh, but in in, um, in volunteering at a recovery center and then and then in becoming a therapist, it was uh, something that just became really uh, a, a source of purpose and meaning in my life to be of service. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, being a therapist is that for me. And then I wrote this book, Harder to Breathe, which I have out now, which kind of tells my whole journey and that really to me was a whole new mission in terms of service just really sharing my story and the things that i've learned in a way that's hopefully helpful to people right you know you talk about your book uh ryan and you know it's called harder to breathe and something i was reading about it was it's about your memoir about how making to the top sent you to the bottom and i thought that was very interesting and I think you mentioned a couple of points. So my question, Ryan, is first of all, what is influence to you? And what do you think there is a dark side to influence or power as we are discussing this topic? Well, there's, you know, there's a lot of things that influenced me at different times in my life. Um, you know, it's it was an interesting thing. My my passion for music originally, the way that I got into that career. Mm-hmm. I was a um I was a teenager in the 90s and you know in the early 90s it was the era of grunge rock alternative rock uh, I was 14 years old when the Nirvana album uh, Nevermind came out and the song Smells Like Teen Spirit mm-hmm. uh, and it certainly was influential to me that music and that the the whole ethos of that era of rock and roll uh, it's hard to say because it's kind of a chicken or the egg kind of thing uh, as to whether it, I really related to it wholly and, and came to it because I was experiencing some of the disillusionment and angst of, of, of being a brooding teenage boy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I felt seen and heard by that music and the people that, that wrote it. Um, or if it was influence on me and in that I, I kind of grew to, um, I don't know, glamorize some of those things because of the fact that I love the music so much. Um, and I, I think that the truth is probably it's a little bit of both. There was a bi-directional relationship between the two. Um, I, you know, I, I'm very thankful that some of the music that inspired me and that I felt really connected to was there at a time in my life when I felt uh, disconnected and I felt uh, disillusioned and, and uh, in a dark place in a lot of ways as a as a teenager. Um, but at the same time, I think it, it it did have an influence that I suppose you could say was a dark influence in that it, it, it encouraged me to go inward <laughs> and to go to a place of self um, introspection and um, and and depression, I suppose. So um, you know, it's something to be mindful of. It's important to have art that reflects what we're actually experiencing but at the same time so i think important to be mindful of the influence of sitting in a dark place for a long time without 
you know, making an attempt to pull yourself out of it. Right. And do you think, Ryan, you mentioned about when you were in the band and for a time you were medicating yourself with alcohol. Do you think uh, that was a way for you to escape from the reality? And now you're, you know, approaching this this field, which is I'm sure you are, as you were saying, it it now t- makes you think about helping others and it's become your purpose to do that. Uh, do you feel that music was part of that for you to be able to deal with what was going on inside of you? Yeah, well, music was certainly my first uh, coping mechanism, really. You know, it was the place that I went to 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 escape or to feel, um, you know, that I was being represented, what I was experiencing, that I wasn't alone. Um I think that, you know, when I was performing, the alcohol was not to the degree that it became later, but to some degree, it was a a form of escape. You know, mm-hmm. we, we were working really hard. I mean, for we were on the road for almost four years straight mm-hmm. uh, between 02 and 05. Um, and there were a lot of demands on our, our on our time and our energy. And really, I mean, I, I was somebody that that struggled with anxiety and uh, perfectionism and obsessive compulsiveness and, you know, just put a lot of pressure on myself. And then you, you combine that with the level of pressure that we were under externally. And I was, I was starting to struggle and feeling really uh, worn down. So, you know, I think that alcohol at that point, it was something to on a night off to kind of uh, to, to let loose and to blow off steam. It wasn't to the degree that it was, uh, I would I would say at the time or even now was really a, a problem. But when I when I had my breakdown and I had to deal with that loss and I really was in a really, um, really dark place, that's when alcohol became more of an escape and a and, a, you know, a, a maladaptive coping mechanism because I just didn't I couldn't deal with the feelings. I couldn't deal with the pain. Um, and when I was drinking, I could escape and I could avoid those feelings. And so uh, it just became this, you know, this sort of downward spiral where I would self-medicate to to escape and then you just feel that much worse. And then the need for the, the self-medication becomes greater and it just gets progressively worse. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And you mentioned about, you know, how you turn your pain into purpose and, you know, there is this theory, carrier construction theory, which exactly is about that, how we can do that. So I'm interested to hear, Ryan, how's that journey been for you from, you know, coming from, you know, Martin Five Band, and then now you're a therapist. And so how's that journey been in terms of your career change and profession? Well, you know, at, at, when I started recovery, I didn't really have any you know, great scheme in my mind as to how I was going to turn my pain into purpose, but it really did. It became that because in, in working a program of recovery, I was really just doing what I needed to do to stay sober and to start to work through the feelings that I had been avoiding, you know, the anxiety and, and the, the the pain of the loss Mm -hmm. of my career and my whole identity that was wrapped up in being in Maroon 5. Um, and that's really all that it was in the early stages. It was just doing what was necessary to work through those things. 
But in the process of it, I was being of service. You know, I was going to meetings and telling my story. I started volunteering at a recovery center and running groups, doing peer support and co-leading groups. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that became a sense of purpose because I was I was being of service. And that offered me, um, you know, some self-confidence in in that I had something to offer. Mm -hmm. Uh, it, It gave me a connection to something that was, uh, you know, beyond just my daily sort of grind and addiction of of wanting to feel good or wanting to escape bad feelings. I now had like something meaningful to do with my time. So a way to give myself in a way that made me feel purposeful. So um, that's, that's just a feeling that I became really, it was, it was kind of like a, a good addiction. Something I became addicted to was this feeling of purpose and meaning. And I was just following Mm -hmm. that feeling that, the best I could on a daily basis, just following the next indicated action that would give me that feeling. And so in time, it grew into this new sense of purpose where um, it, I went from being a volunteer to going back to school and, and getting a degree to become uh, a professional. And mm-hmm. so it really, it, and the other thing is that in working in this field and being a a mental health professional and now a mental health advocate as well, talking about my book, talking about the things I've been through and sharing some of it in, in uh, whether it be in interviews like this one or, um, you know, doing speaking engagements and, 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 you know, writing my book. Um, You know, when I'm, when I'm doing those things, um, you know, it's, it's, it's really a whole new sense of purpose uh, and meaning in my life that I was lacking for a long time. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's the closest I've come since I left the band of feeling like I have that same sense of identity and, um, and something to offer that in a lot of ways is even greater because Mm -hmm. performing, you know, and, and having fun and making music was, was wonderful. Uh, but there's the added altruistic element of, of, um, of, of, you know, being of service in this way. So it's, it's a wonderful way to, to find new purpose. Right. And, you know, when I think about what you're saying, I can definitely tell you're so passionate about doing this as well, which I believe that's such a big key when we are talking about choosing a career. And I think the question I have, Ryan, which is related to what we've been discussing is how do you think you or, you know, what you are now in this position uh, can you can influence the world in a positive way? Right. So like I'm, I understand with the music. Uh, that can be very influential in terms of people listening to it. They come to the concert, right? They can be influenced by the songs, lyrics. They make memories, everything. Uh, but in in the profession you are now, how do you feel that you are going to influence the world in a positive way as we've been discussing? Well, you know, I do. I, I kind of feel a sense of responsibility on top of um, just the the passion that I have for being an advocate and um, and a professional Um, because I do have this background that gives me a platform to speak from, Mm. Um, you know, and, and having been through a lot of the things that I've been through, they, you know, they, they, my, my past informs the work that I do now. You know, I, I bring, uh, we were talking, you know, about pain into purpose. I bring my past into the work that I do, probably more than a lot of therapists do, because in general, you know, you try to to be a blank slate, um, you know, mm. a lot of the time. For me, you know, there's no separating the two because my past is a part of who I am as a clinician. 
Um, so I, I feel that I, I have a lot of connection to my clients because of all the things that I live through. And when I'm, if something comes up, you know, in a session or in an event that I'm speaking at or whatever, and I can relate to it because I have very specific personal experience with it. Um, I don't, I don't mind self-disclosing and, and, and bringing that into the room. Um, you know, I've written a book about all of my experiences, so it's kind of out there in the world. Mm. And, and I think that my, the things that I struggled with and hopefully the wisdom that I've gained in the process, uh, becomes part of what is useful about the work that I do. And having that platform, having the combination of the education that I have now and the experience that I've gained, um, you know, with the, the background of having been in Maroon 5 and everything that comes with that, um, I think that I have more of an opportunity to reach some people. And so, you know, to not use that uh, would be would be kind of silly. You know, um, I think it's important when you have um, the kind of access maybe that some people don't have um, to use that to to do more good in the world, you know? Exactly. And to me, it sounds also the music world is in a need of something like mental health and therapy. Do you see yourself being involved with that specific population or you're open to work with any kind of populations? Well, I am open to to working with a lot of different kinds of populations, but yes, um, mm-hmm. I hadn't intended actually originally when I went into this field to to go specifically into working with musicians per se. Um, but it's kind of evolved back to that place because, you know, I, I, I was kind of trying to close that chapter of my life, my background in music and move into the mental health world. Um, and then in writing my book, Harder to Breathe, um, I realized it would be so silly for me to, to neglect that whole part of my experience and everything that I learned from it. Uh, because I have something to share with a very specific population um, that probably would have a hard time finding uh, a lot of therapists that have that same experience that I have, you know? So, mm-hmm. so yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's kind of been a natural progression. I've had people reach out to me that, um, that are working specifically with creative people and trying to help people in, in the creative industries, whether they be musicians or other artists or other creative people. Um, and it seems like a natural fit for me to kind of specialize in that area and to create content, you know, whether it be in terms of books or um, writing, you know, for other publications, um, speaking, being a part of organizations, uh, being a part of fundraising, um, all of those things on top of the work that I do as a therapist and coach, um, you know, I think that, uh, again, I could probably reach that that part of the population in a way that maybe others can't, just given my personal experience. Right. And I think something you mentioned, Ryan, and I agree with you 100 percent, and this is so uh, popular in our work, is many of us therapists who've been in this field, we usually choose a population or a niche that is personal to us. Right. So you, you mentioned how you don't mind self-disclose about your experiences. Mm-hmm. And I believe that can be so powerful when when you went through something yourself. And now, as you've been saying, you're in this position to help and serve people. And in a way, you put yourself in their shoes, right? You understand their pain better and you can help them in a way in a way that is much more effective, I feel. Right. So you already know about some of the struggles they've been through, because this is something you experience 
yourself as well. Yeah, and I, you know, it's it's just about being really mindful of what is going to be helpful for your client. Mm -hmm. uh, that's really what's most important at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's there is that impulse when you self disclose to start to make it about you, mm -hmm. and I think there's a fine line, but it's a, it's a clear one to me when it's when it's about me or when it's about my client. Um, at the end of the day, talking about yourself doesn't have to be a selfish thing to do if you're offering something that's helpful, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, I would give that advice to any clinician, you know, it, don't be afraid to bring something into the room if it's going to help your client. And just because it's a personal story doesn't mean it should be off limits. You just have to be mindful of that line. It's like, am I talking for, for 10 minutes about myself and it's not really... <laughs> offering anything specifically helpful to my client, then it's, it's probably not a good idea. But mm -hmm. if it's like, here, here's an opportunity. And when I do it, it's an opportunity first and foremost to connect with my client, you know, for them to feel understood, to feel seen and heard um, in the same way that music was that for me. Um, you know, when, when you, when you're struggling with something and somebody can show you, not just tell you, but show you that they understand what you're going through that's a really powerful, impactful moment uh, in a session. Uh, and then, you know, to, to share what you've learned to, to, to share, you know, here's, here, here are the ways in which I understand and here are the ways in which I've learned and, and grown from it. Um, you know, there's a lesson in that. And so that can be, it can be a really powerful part of uh, working with a, with a clientele that you, that you connect with on that level. Exactly. And I believe it works very well when you self-disclose. And of course, as you said, is to the interest of your client. When that person, it's hard for them to open up, right? So when we self-disclose, it's a way for them to connect with us. And then they trust us and they do the same. Uh, so Ryan, I believe I, I really like your value. And this is a value that's very important to me as well. And of course, our podcast topic is based on service leadership and influence and when we talk about service i think we think about legacy right and my question to you is, is what kind of legacy do you want to leave uh, for yourself in the for the future generations well you know i think it remains to be seen i i don't know if i'm thinking that far down the road uh in terms of legacy quite yet um, I know that 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 I have personal ambitions and then I have um you know service ambitions in terms of what I'm able to to give. Um but I think that there's a lot of overlap between the two. You know, starting a band when I was 16 years old and and working really hard to get to where we did and and making the music that we did, I'm very proud of that and grateful for that experience. Mm -hmm. And and I think that, you know, ultimately making the album Songs About Jane uh, was a great contribution to to pop music and to um, fans of that music. I still get, you know, one of the great things about being where I'm at now as an advocate and and having a book out and promoting it uh, is that I get people coming up to me or, or, or DMing me, you know, saying how impactful that album was to them and how, it, you know, it was a big part of their childhood or uh, how much they related to it or how much my drumming, you know, was an influence on them as a musician. And so, you know, just knowing that putting something out there, even though, even if it's not an act of service per se, mm -hmm. can affect people in a really positive way. Um, you know, I, I'm mindful of that. I, I try to remember that how 
that hard work was not in vain. Um, and so when I do the things that I'm doing now, you know, I love being a creative person. I love uh, expressing myself. I think at my core, more than anything, I'm a creative person, even when I'm working in the fields that I'm working in now, which is, you know, more selfless work. Um, there's the element of, of, of thinking creatively, doing things, trying to find, you know, creative solutions to things. Um, and so being a writer, um, having been a musician, um, I don't know what other sort of ventures I'll go into in the future, you know, other media and other avenues for expressing myself. But I do know that this element of service runs through it now in everything that I do. Um, I both want to to be a creator, but also somebody that there's there's meaning behind what I'm creating. There's there's something that is, um, you know, uh, something that I have to offer given the life lessons that I've learned. So I guess if I were to think about le legacy, which hopefully I'll be thinking about, you know, 20 years down the road, <laughs> but uh, it, it'll be some intersection of those things, having been a creative person and, and having, um, you know, at a certain point in my life, thought specifically about giving back in a meaningful way. Right. And I think that's what is important. And personally, when I think about legacy, it really makes me to make choices that are smart and also contribute right to the future generation so I always think about it as a way that okay how do I want to be remembered you know for the generations to come and that really helped me to make choices that are both something that is uh, personally it's something I like but also I think about others as well and that's when the service comes into mind uh, for the last question Ryan and I ask this for all of our guests is how would you encourage your followers to serve? Because I'm sure, as you mentioned, you are in this position of influence and many people look up to you. So if you want to encourage your followers to serve, what would you tell them? Well, um, I think that for me, when I used to hear the word service, before I started my whole recovery, it always sounded a little daunting uh, because I, I think in my mind, I was imagining that you have to do something truly profound and truly, uh, really altruistic and selfless. Um, you know, I was imagining service being, you know, waking up every morning and working at a soup kitchen um, or, you know, doing fundraising and, and really making a difference with a charitable organization, raising money for you know, children that are starving or, you know, something that you imagine Mother Teresa would do or, uh, some kind of organization that's really doing profound work uh, that that can be the case. And for some people, that that is the definition of service. But it doesn't have to be necessarily uh, on such a grand scale or so in incredibly um, selfless. Mm. I think that just making a choice um, to do something with others in mind. And for me, you know, even even just when I was in early recovery, just talking about the ways in which I was still struggling, that was being of service because others could hear the ways that I was struggling and they could relate to it. They could connect to me. Um, there was a sense of belonging and in community with that. So it didn't even require me to go particularly out of my way um, to be of service. Just putting myself out into the world in a way that was vulnerable um, mm -hmm. I was was an act of service, you know, and I think to, I I try to remember that now. It's like we can forget in the work that we do that every day that we get up and we go to work mm -hmm. uh, is an act of service. Uh, we have to think about ourselves as well and run, you know, run our business and do things that are um, know where our boundaries are. It doesn't have to be 
uh, a completely selfless act. But, you know, just every day thinking about, um, you know, balancing out the ways in which we can be self-consumed with the ways in which we think of others. And it, there is an extent to which you can go too far. You know, we, we, we know that um, that problem that some people run into when they're caring for others more than they're caring for themselves. So I think that even even in being of, of service, um, there's a balance. Mm. And to my understanding, Ryan, what you're saying is to apply to your everyday life. So it's an attitude more than just one time act, basically. Yeah, yeah. I think that it's been so good for me. I mean, having come from the background where I was really struggling with with substance use as a way of coping with some of my pain, mm. uh, that's a really lonely, isolated place to live um, where you're mostly thinking about how you're feeling at any given moment and how to fix it if you're not feeling well. Mm. Uh, and so, you know, an act of service in terms of attitude, as you described for me, is just getting out of that lonely, isolated place. When I'm thinking about another human being, when I'm thinking about being of service in some small way, mm. it's actually beneficial to me because I'm not, it's pulling me out of that, um, that self-obsession, you know, mm. uh, that comes with with any kind of suffering um so yes it's it's an attitude every day of just you know the my troubles or the things that i struggle with while while meaningful are not are not everything you know <laughs> it's mm. not it's not until you can walk through life thinking your experience of every moment is the most important thing and you know your your pain is the most important thing and when you put it in the perspective of you know, of other people and, and your connection to them, uh, it becomes a little bit less all-consuming. Exactly. And the way I think about it is the more people you serve, the bigger your world become, right? So you, yes. have, you have a wide more people and perspective overall. Ryan, I just want to thank you for being here. And I appreciate uh, everything you mentioned. And I just want to see if you have any last words for our audience. Well, thank you so much for inviting me on. This was fun. Um, you know, I, I'll just mention again, my book, Harder to Breathe, um, you know, other than just to shill for my book a little bit, <laughs> I do believe in it because I'm proud of it. It's it's something that is sort of a case study in some of the things that we talked about and the whole full cycle that I, I went through from the fun and inspiration of starting a band and having that be my expression and and my connection and purpose to losing that and dealing with the grief and the pain and, and going into that place you just described of, of, you know, mm. the opposite of, 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 of your world expanding. My world was retracting and getting smaller. Um, and then, and then coming full circle and finding that inspiration and hope and recovery and everything that I've been doing um, in, in the last third of the book, you know, mm. sort of my world has been getting bigger and expanding and, and becoming more meaningful so, um, you know, if you're looking for inspiration and you're looking for, you know, a story in which maybe you can relate to some of the some of the struggles and then see see the hope and the recovery. Um, I think it's it's a it's a good uh, it's a good story. <laughs> yes, I'm sure. Uh, Ryan, thank you. Thank you.
As part of the segment of the show, now I have one of my former students, Mac Garrison. Mac, welcome. Thank you for having me. How's everything, Mac? How's life? You know, life is always going to be good. It's a matter of perspective. A person's perception is going to be their reality. So uh, I've learned the hard way <laughs> that uh, I may as well be positive. So life is good. Glad to hear, Mac. And I always like your perspectives because you had a great ones in the class too. So, Mac, what we do at the beginning is I ask the students, guests to give us one value. I know that's something we did in the class. So what would be your value if you want that's something that is important to you? What would you want to share? You know, the most important thing, especially when it comes to therapists, is you have to be personable. You have to be a person of tenacity and you have to be a person who is informed. So I'm, the, the biggest value is personable with tenacity and be informed. When you say personable, is it more about uh, you have this attitude that is humble and like, you know, you like people? What is that exactly? That's something interesting I like to hear. Well, you know, it's interesting you should ask that. Personable, could, I mean, it could be perceived as a lot of different things. But when I think about being personable, I think about making a person feel comfortable in the space that I'm in with them. Uh, in other words, people have to be able to communicate how they really feel and what's really going on with them in, in order for the communication to be solid and productive. So personable, it is humble, it is exciting, um, and it is provoking. So it's very provocative. Mm, interesting. Actually, you know, Mac, the topic of our podcast is on influence, leadership, and service. So I want to hear from your side. What would influence mean to you as a person? Like, what does that represent to you? Well, you know, influence is, is, is the art of persuasion. Influence is to be able to get people in the room and people who have access to you, um, to believe in what you're saying and what you're doing so that they will follow your advice or follow your lead. That's what influences the ability to persuade people. And uh, of course, hey, that's a double-edged sword. It can go either way. It could be influencing people to do things that are healthy for them or influencing people to do things that are not healthy for them. But influence is persuasion. And I think it matches so well with the value you mentioned, right? To be personal. Yeah. And what I want to ask, Mike, how would you see yourself influencing people uh, either in therapy or outside work? How would I see myself influencing people? Yeah, or the world overall. First of all, um, if people gravitate toward what's comfortable and what makes people comfortable is not having to try to evaluate if a person is honest or not. So the best way that I will be able to uh, just influence people is to just, first of all, be honest about who I am, what I know, what I don't know, mm -hmm. uh, what I like, what I don't like, what I think will work, what I don't think will work. Because I just, people are afraid to argue mm -hmm. when arguments are not meant to be negative. Arguments are just meant to find the best and most productive way to get things done. So everybody has a premise and everybody has, everybody has their support of their premise and we can come to a conclusion 
and influence will help people understand my side of the story and follow what I'm saying in a productive way. Mm-hmm. So I I know, Mac, because I had in my class that you were in the music industry and I know your whole story. But do you think also there is a dark side to influence where you might, you know, as you said earlier, the value can be, um, you know, to exhort. Do you think the same is for the influence where you can, you know, have be in a position of influence and it comes dark side with that as well? Of course. Um, some of the most influential people who have been menaces to society uh, have been very persuasive. They've mm-hmm. been very believable. They have the ability to say what their base or their the people listening to them want to hear, whether they believe it or not, they're very convincing uh, in their position. Uh, let's take, for instance, I'm, I'm a recovered uh, crack cocaine addict. Mm. And drug dealers, dope boys, if you will, have a great way of influencing their clients that, hey, I've got the best product or, hey, this is not going to hurt or, hey, um, you can deal with me and I'm going to treat you right all the time. They keep their clients, their the other addicts, away from the mindset that what I'm buying from this person is actually not good for me. It's killing me. Mm. All right. The music industry promotes, um, how can I say, it promotes being able to physically lift yourself to another level um, so that you can be more creative and that you can dance better, sing better, perform longer, um, and just stir the crowd to just get what they came for and get what they paid for. Mm. Now, the physical way to do that is to use mind-altering substances like cocaine, alcohol, um, ecstasy, and any any kind of mood-mind-altering substance. The problem is then where the bad influence comes in is, hey, yeah, I'll be able to perform and sing with artists and, you know, create, but I'll be left with a habit that I won't be able to overcome by myself. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure, you know, on the opposite side too, there's, you know, for the music part, there's good good reasons to it, right? And also there are people who are not doing that as well. But I understand what you're saying, Mac. I think that's also another part of being in the industry, right? There's, in, in every industry, there is that chance, but I totally get that. So, uh, Mac, something we do and... Um, we always ask the guests is how would you encourage your followers to serve? I understand that service is something important to you from knowing you. So how would you encourage those who are listening to serve uh, the world? Uh, you know, because I had the extraordinary benefit of having to work the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, all of the anonymouses, those 12 steps are, um, crucial in a person's just personal development. Mm. And the 12th step says that we are to carry that message to other addicts who are out there still suffering. So to do that, we have to provide service to them. We have to be available. We have to be open. We have to be brave enough and courageous enough to tell our story to someone else who needs to hear it, not not realizing that my story is their story. So when it comes to service, uh, Professor P, (laughs) when it comes to service, Mm. we need to understand that what we are 
Paul to do is to be examples of how to live right. Mm-hmm. The, the Alcoholics Anonymous, all the anonymous says, the benefit of one addict helping another is unparalleled. And you can only keep it, it being your good life, your recovery, your wonderful feeling. You can only keep it by giving it away. Mm-hmm. So just like I'm Christian, so I follow Christ. So when Christ came and showed us how we were supposed to behave toward one another, he showed us that there is so much power in being able to commune with other people, whether you know them or not, whether you agree with them or not. The main thing to do is to let you be you, me be me, and let's be happy in our own skin. Mm-hmm. And you talk about the message. What would be your message, Mac? Oh, my message is my my message is my personal statement, which is to help as many people as I can for as long as I can find their way through truth so they, they can see the life that they need to live more abundantly. Mm, awesome. Well, Mike, thanks for being here and glad to have you. And any last words for the listeners? Well, it sure is good to be here. Professor P, I just remember the class that we had together and I've not experienced that since then or before then. But we've all maintained communication. We talk at least every other week. And uh, we keep each other encouraged. So when you talk about service and leadership and influence, um, all of that was projected onto us from you and in that class. And it's making us better students. It's making us better people. Um, And in our daily lives, the first thing that we need to do when we wake up is say, all I do is win. And, Mm -hmm. And the best way to win is to help someone else win. So, man, thank you for having me. I really love talking to you. Of course. I'm glad to hear that. And thank you, Mike. Have a wonderful day. You do the same. Okay, now I have one of my current students, Annie, in the show. Annie, welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. Yes, of course. How are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? Good, good. Uh, Ani, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and also the area you're studying? Yes. Um, so I am completing my um, my master's in clinical psychology. Um, I am currently finishing up my practicum. I work at a nonprofit, um, and I see a variety of clients right now. I specifically really enjoy working with um, substance use and trauma individuals. I have a background working at a um, at a clinic, um, and I was doing a lot of work with Suboxone um, clients and patients, as well as um, working with veterans who have had PTSD. So I was I'm very passionate about working um, with people with substance abuse and trauma, yeah. um, and I recently. Uh, just accepted a job offer over at Kaiser. So I think that might be my next step. Oh, that's amazing. Congratulations. You mm-hmm. seem very passionate about working with this population. I'm wondering what's the reason behind it. Um, I have some uh, family members with personal experience with uh, PTSD. Mm-hmm. And um, I worked closely with my father at his uh, walk-in clinic helping clients with um, substance use. And at first I kind of had a negative um, 
preconceived opinion on people with, you know, people who are users. Um, and once I started working at that clinic, it really opened up my eyes that everybody has a background and they have a story and it taught me a lot of empathy. Mm, great. So Anya, I actually have a question regarding helping and service. But before that, you know, something I always ask our guests is to come up with one value and as I do in the class too. So what would be one important value for you? Um, a important value for me, I think that applies to my life would be resilience. Um, resilience is really important to me because I have personally experienced uh, challenges and setbacks in my life. And mm -hmm. my test um, has been, you know, I've, I've had my strength tested. And I think that resilience is really important because it empowers me to bounce back from adversity and overcome obstacles and to adapt change. Mm -hmm. um so I think it just kind of helps to have a positive mindset and and persevere throughout tough times and find the inner strength to keep moving forward and have that that resilience yes and I believe that population you work with right they face a lot of challenges and it's great that you're helping this population and my question is regarding that is I believe it takes a lot of heart you know for you to this do this type of work the one you're doing so what what do you think is the influence that service has in our lives and also in the lives of others when we apply it so i think that service um can really have a a very vast impact on individuals mental well-being and overall quality of life um so throughout my studies and in my experience over at my practicum i really got a different um deeper understanding of challenges faced by individuals and communities. So there's a lot of issues as far as mental health, uh, trauma, social inequalities. So just by providing service, it addresses these challenges and it can really help promote individuals' well-being. Mm -hmm. um, and service, I'm very big on volunteering as well. Um, so I was volunteering at a local mental health clinic as well as I have my own, um, my own nonprofit. And I really am a big advocate for underprivileged populations and uh, raising awareness about mental health and uh, psychological issues. So I think that as a psychology student and somebody who's in the role of mental health, mm -hmm. service is very important because um, we want to, our overall purpose is for the betterment of society and to help people. Exactly. And what's your nonprofit's name, Ani? It's called Sister Act 2. Um, and we help gather furniture and supplies for um we work with another charity called catholic charities mm -hmm. so we help to furnish um these government allotted housing um and to provide food and money and services for for these individuals well that's amazing so my last question Annie, is actually related to what you just discussed and i also want you to give the information regarding your nonprofit for our listeners but if you want to encourage someone to serve or do an act of kindness, what would that be? Um, I would definitely say to, let's see, just, just having that act of kindness and practicing empathy. Mm -hmm. I think empathy is, is lacking a lot in um, our society today. So to really just have the ability of understanding and, to um, allow to for people to connect on a deeper level with us and to just kind of experience 
you know, have that, that experience of what is it like to walk in somebody else's shoes Mm -hmm. and to seek understanding in others' experiences. And, um, I think that'll lead to more of a positive change. Right. And could you tell us if someone is interested to be part of your nonprofit or contribute, what is the best way for them to get in touch? Um, so can I provide my phone number? Of course, if you want to. Okay. So yeah. So my phone number is 727-422-5085. Um, we were previously located in Pinellas County, Florida. So I'm in the, the process of transitioning it to uh, California. So we currently um, don't have an email at the moment. So if you want to reach out via phone number, um, we collect donations and uh, I will be in turn um, finding another uh, charity as well to work with. Great. Annie, thanks for being here and I wish you all the best. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for tuning in and I look forward to be with you in the next episode. And meanwhile, if you want to stay connected, you can reach me via email at contact at parsapaycar.com. Mm-hmm.